we are closing our series, A Summer in the Psalms, with Psalm chapter 46. Now, this is one of my favorite psalms. And I've really been able to think on it and meditate on it this summer as I've gotten a little rest and uh, got to uh, take some trips. My family and I went up to Colorado. We do this every year. We go to a family camp up there and uh, love going uh, up to uh, Colorado, getting out of this Houston heat and uh, experiencing the, the, the greatness of just the cool mountain air there. I uh, also had the opportunity to go across the pond uh, to England and spent some time uh, there. In fact, you know, one of my, uh, I, I, I love uh, the church uh, of Jesus Christ, and I love the fact that God called me to pastor and preach. I can remember as an 11-year-old in the sixth grade being at a little disciple now, kind of what we call freedom, and I can remember watching the preacher up there preaching, and as a sixth grader, I remember this, 11, 12 years old, I remember thinking, if I don't coach football, I could do that right there. Uh, I remember thinking that, and uh, I, I thought that's what I was going to do with my life, uh, was, uh, was coach football, and my senior year of high school, God turned my heart toward ministry, and I'm not kidding you, I am, I am doing uh, what, I, I can't believe that I get to wake up and get to do what God has called me to do since I was 17 years old. This is all I've ever wanted to do, really, is preach and pastor. And I wake up every day. If you want to know how to pray for your pastor, pray that I don't mess this up. Because that's what I pray every day. God, don't let me mess this up. Because I love, I love preaching. I love pastoring. I love being a part of the work God is doing here at Champion Forest. And uh, one of my preachers that uh, when I was called to ministry, I started reading pastor's biographies. Uh, just men of God uh, that would challenge me and encourage me. I just finished last night. Uh, reading a biography on Charles Spurgeon, another biography on Spurgeon. He's one of my favorite preachers. And so when I went over to England, he was a pastor in the London area from mid uh, to late 1800s, pastor for 30 plus years at the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church. It was the first mega church of its kind. Uh, in its heyday, had 5,000 uh, members that would uh, sit in the congregation with another thousand in standing room capacity. Uh, he is known as the Prince of Preachers. His, the, the, his sermons were so prolific that the London Times would take his sermons and print them every single week so that the, the people of England could read his sermons. Now, I'm still waiting on a phone call from the Houston Chronicle. I hadn't gotten it yet, but I'm waiting on it. And uh, uh, Spurgeon was, was, was unbelievable. And this summer while I was there, I went by the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and then I went by his grave site. You can see a picture of it here on the screen. And uh, I, this, is, this is what preachers do on vacation. We go visit dead preachers' memorials. And so I went to his, uh, the cemetery there, and he's actually buried next to his wife right there and uh, there's an open Bible uh, there that's open to 2 Timothy 4, uh, 7 through 9. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. Kept, I kept the faith and I just uh, sat there and just kind of paid my respects to the great Charles Spurgeon. He was an incredible preacher uh, and uh, in fact in my study probably the two most well-known, uh, probably the, the most uh, important artifacts that I have in my study that are most meaningful to me is I have two handwritten pages from Spurgeon's sermons. He would write out his sermons on Saturday and after he was done writing his sermons and he would write them out word for word, he would take a purple pen because purple was the color of royalty and he would edit his sermons. And I've got two handwritten 
note of pages from, from Spurgeon's sermons in my study that I love uh, to look at. But what, what's not as well known is that Spurgeon was pastoring on one side of the city of London, and on the other side of the city was a pastor by the name of Joseph Parker. Now, these two guys couldn't be any more different. They were contemporaries, but they were, and they were friends, but they were very different in style. Spurgeon, as I mentioned, wrote every word out of his sermon, edited it. He was very meticulous, and when he preached, uh, he knew exactly where he was going and what he was going to say. Joseph Parker, on the other hand, uh, was um, known as an extemporaneous preacher, uh, meaning he would study during the week and he would get that text and wrestle with that text and study all week. But when he got up to preach and deliver the message, he didn't know what was coming out of his mouth and neither did anybody else. And so like, that scares me to death to try to get up here and, and preach extemporaneous. I think we'd be done in like 12 minutes, all right? And I know what some of you are thinking. Shame on you for thinking that, okay? Uh, but Joseph Parker, he's probably most well-known for this quote right here. He said this, Preach to the suffering, and you will never lack a congregation. There is a broken heart in every pew. And you know, through the years, I've found that to be true. As I'm preparing a message and getting ready to preach... There are some messages that you preach where you go, I know this is going to speak to a certain group of people. I know this is going to hit uh, here, but God, I don't know how uh, the wider audience is going to take it. I'm just going to trust your Holy Spirit to take it and explode it into people's hearts. And then there are other texts, like the one that we're looking at today, Psalm chapter 46, where when you study it and you prepare for it and you're getting ready to preach it, you know that it's going to apply to every single person in the room. Because every one of us here knows what it is to experience pain, to go through difficulty in life. Every one of us know what it is to deal with anxiety and fear, to go through trials and troubles. And this text helps us deal with those times in life. And that's why I'm titling the message today. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down and follow along with me. All of the points and scripture references that we look at will be on the screen for you. But the title of today's message is The Answer to Anxiety and Fear. This text is going to answer this question What happens when my worst case scenario becomes reality? How do we endure? How do we make it through? How do we keep going? Now, for some of you, you don't have to imagine your worst case scenario. You're going through it right now. It might be the passing of a loved one uh, recently, and your worst case scenario has become a reality. Or maybe it was the diagnosis of a doctor. You got that phone call, or a loved one got that phone call that you never wanted to hear. Or maybe it's the break of a relationship, or the loss of a job. It's events like this that cause anxiety and fear. And oftentimes it can cripple our faith and even cause us to question our relationship with the Lord. And so what does God's word say to us in times like this? Does it offer any answers to the anxiety and fear that oftentimes just going through life generates? I believe it does. And we'll start in Psalm chapter 46 
Beginning in verse 1, you'll notice your Bible says this is written by one of the sons of Korah. Now, we don't know much about the sons of Korah. We do know that they were descendants of Levi. And so evidently, they had responsibilities of leading the people of Israel in worship. When they were meeting in the wilderness, they would meet at the camp and lead in worship there. Some believe that they produced music, led in music and worship. Later on in the temple in Jerusalem, when it was constructed, they led in worship there. This is a Psalm of Zion, which we will point out here in just a few minutes. It, it, it glorified where the presence of God dwelled. It made much of that. And so let's begin reading, starting in verse 1. The sons of Korah, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, the psalmist begins by establishing for us, reminding us of who God is. And this is important because oftentimes when situations in life begin to crash in on us, this is the first thing that we forget, who God is. And so the psalmist is just reminding us, verse 2 and 3 is a, a picture of utter chaos. The earth is giving way, the Bible says. The mountains are being moved into the heart of the sea. This is worst case scenario. This is a scene right out of one of those apocalyptic movies, the end of the world. It's a picture of natural disaster. We want to see these strong mountains, imagine them crumbling into the heart of the sea. We see these oceans and Seawaters roaring and foaming. It's a, it's a, it's a, a picture of a great commotion. The, the word is literally the, the word picture of a war. Talk about anxiety. Talk about fear. This is describing something that none of us would want to be a part of. It, it's meant to invoke uh, 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 the emotions, to stun the emotions. It's meant to, to shock our emotions. And yet in spite of this, the psalmist is, he has a quiet confidence. He's not going to be overwhelmed by overwhelming, overwhelming circumstances because of verse 1. Look at it. God is. Now I love this because the psalmist uses the name of God here, Hebrew Elohim, that is meant to describe, it's the most often used name of God in the Old Testament. It describes God's infinite power. It describes his eternal nature. He is Elohim. We know this from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And it's this God, the creator God of the universe, that is our refuge and strength. It's this God. The creator of the heavens and the earth that according to the psalmist is a very present help in time of need. In times of uncertainty. In times of fear. In times that could cause all sorts of fear and panic and anxiety. Look at what the psalmist is communicating here. That the God that we serve is bigger and stronger and more mighty than anything we may be up against. And so I just want us to, to pause and just attempt for a moment to wrap our mind around this thought. Because if we miss this, we miss the entire point of this psalm. For those of you that grew up in church, you know Psalm 46, probably from verse 10. 
be still and know that I am God. And it's this call to quiet yourself, to stop striving. It's a call to contemplation so that we can fully understand and realize who God is and all that we have in him. He is Elohim, creator of the heavens and the earth. So just consider who this God is. The prophet Isaiah was thinking on this. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. It'll be on the screen for you. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Who created the stars? Who created the galaxies? This is what the prophet Isaiah is saying. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Listen to verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You think a God who can hold the waters in his hand, calls the stars and knows them by name. You think he can't handle that situation that's causing you fear? That situation that's causing you panic? Let's not think for a moment. That the uncertainty that we may be experiencing and going through is greater than the one who the scripture says doesn't need a nap. All right, some of us woke up this morning looking forward to our Sunday afternoon nap. And the Bible says we have one that doesn't sleep or slumber, he doesn't take a break. Just pause and consider what we're talking about when we say this God, the Creator God, the heavens and the earth, holds the waters in his hand, throws out the stars, knows them by name, knitted you together, according to Psalm 139, in your mother's womb. That God is an ever-present help in time of need. And if you look at the end of verses 3, verse 7, verse 11, you see the word Selah there? Well, there's debate exactly about what this word means, we do know that it's a, it's a division of music that is meant to cause us to pause, some Scholars believe it means to think on or to meditate on. And so you put this together, and it means to pause and consider, to pause and think about, to pause and contemplate. And so the psalmist writes verses 1 through 3, and then he says, Selah. Consider this. Pause. Oftentimes our worship team will be up worshiping in them, and the words will cease, but the, the music's continuing to go, and it's just a time to, to pause and to just, again, think about what we're singing to the Lord, to pause and consider who we're singing to. The psalmist here wants us to pause, consider exactly who we're talking about when we say he is our ever-present help in a time of need. He is our creator, God. See, the thought could be that, you know, God is so big, and so mighty, and so strong, and he's, and, he's, and he's over all. I mean, again, what we're talking about, he's the creator and sustainer of the universe. He's so big. He doesn't have time to worry about what's causing me a little bit of pain. He doesn't have time to, he doesn't have time to mess with my worries and my fears and my anxieties. I mean, he's got a war over in Russia to deal with in the Ukraine. He's got a presidential election coming up next year, next week. He's got his hands full. He doesn't care about me. 
He's not thinking about what I'm going through. He's not worried about what's burdening my heart. Yet the psalmist says the exact opposite. He says the creator God is very present. The word very present can be translated easily found. In other words, our God's not on summer vacation. He doesn't take breaks. He's not checked out. He's not aloof. He's not so busy that he doesn't have the time or the bandwidth to worry about you because he's worrying about other things. Instead, the creator God of the universe is available and present, quick to come by our side when we are in the midst of trials and troubles and temptations of all kinds that cause anxiety and fear. He is our refuge, our hiding place. Corey Ten Boom, if you've never heard of her, I would encourage you to order her biography. It's called The Hiding Place. It's a play on words, Corey Ten Boom. And her family were Christians in the Netherlands during World War II. And their family is responsible, conservative estimates, for saving 800 to 1,000 Jewish people from uh, the Holocaust, from going to a concentration camp. And her father was a godly man, and he would bring these Jewish men and women into their home and would hide them in their home so that the authorities couldn't find them, hence the hiding place. Ultimately, Corey Ten Boom, and you can YouTube her videos and watch her teaching the Bible. She was a powerful witness for Christ. Ultimately, her family was found out, and they arrested her father, and two weeks after they arrested him, he died in prison. Corey Ten Boom, along with her sister, were sent to an a, a all-women's labor camp. And she and her sister decided that when they got to this labor camp, they were going to live for Christ. Somebody had smuggled in a Bible. And so they would host Bible studies after the work days, and they would offer people the hope that is found in Jesus. And two weeks before their release, her sister died in that labor camp. Corey Ten Boom, when she was released, traveled all over the United States the rest of her life. And again, you can watch some of her videos on YouTube. They're fascinating to watch. She would lecture on the power of forgiveness. Now, she forgave those that killed her father and her sister and tormented her friends in that labor camp. She talked about how in her darkest days, when she felt all alone, when she was just discouraged as discouraged can be, she talked about how in Jesus she found a hiding place to play on words. Notice some of her quotes regarding anxiety and fear. She said this, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. She said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. She said, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. And if you look at God, you'll be at rest. She said, You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And then here's my personal favorite. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Corey Tim Boone testified that in her darkest hour, in her roughest days, God was an ever-present help in her time of need. Now there's a transition that takes place 
here in Psalm chapter 46, if you look at it in verses 4 through 7, it's a bit hard to follow, but as you'll see in a minute, it actually makes perfect sense. As mentioned earlier, Psalm 46 is known as a Psalm of Zion. Now, the songs of Zion express praise to God specifically for the city of Jerusalem because Jerusalem was Zion. It was the city of God. And the reason that they, they exalted in Zion is because, as you can recall, this is where the presence of God dwelled, in the temple behind the holy uh, veil known as the Holy of Holies, above the mercy seat. This was the presence of God. And so when pilgrims would come to Jerusalem, Avery preached earlier this summer, Psalm chapter 121, it was a psalm of ascent. They would be on their way to Jerusalem, going up to Jerusalem, and they would get a glimpse of the pinnacle of the mountain of Jerusalem, and they would see the temple there, and they would glory in it, because again, that is where God's Spirit dwelled. Look at verses 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, Zion, Jerusalem, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, I want you to notice what's going on here. Here in verses 4 through 7, we do not see raging oceans that prompt confusion and fear. But instead, we see this streaming river that the Bible says makes the inhabitants of the city glad. Now, when you see and study this idea of river, it's interesting because Jerusalem is one of the, the few ancient cities ever built that's nowhere near a river. I've been to Jerusalem a number of times, and there is no river close to Jerusalem. And most ancient cities were built by a river because, think about it, when an opposing army would come against them, if there was no water source, they would just surround your city and wait you out until you died of hunger or died of thirst. So there is no river in Jerusalem. What is the psalmist communicating here? Well, we know this river language is used elsewhere in Scripture. Listen to Psalm 36, 8. They feast on the abundance of your house, speaking of God, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Psalm chapter 65, verse 9, the second part. The river of God is full of water. If you grew up in church, you remember singing that song? I've got peace like a river. I got... I'm not going to sing it for you. You know what I'm talking about? Peace like a river? That's straight from Isaiah. That the river of God is the peace of God. And so what this passage is seeming to indicate and suggest is that because of God's presence being in the city, because the Most High dwells there, this is where his grace, this is where his mercy, his goodness, his very character flows like a river through the city of God. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. See, it's one thing for a natural disaster to take place. That would cause panic and cause fear. Mountains crumbling into the sea, verse 2. Waters roaring and foaming, verse 3. But you ask any follower of Yahweh what their greatest fear was? And their greatest fear is that something would happen to the city of God. Their greatest fear is that something would happen to Jerusalem, would happen to the temple where the presence of God dwelled. Their greatest fear is that somehow the temple would be destroyed. 
But the psalmist, look at his confidence. That's not going to happen. When the morning dawns, this is when an opposing army would strike. Right when the sun comes up, the city of God will not be moved. Because God is in the midst of her. He is there to help her. And so when we zoom in on this text like a microscope and we begin looking at verses 4 through 7, it absolutely has to do with Jerusalem and it has to do with the temple of God. But if we zoom out a little bit, we'll see that this text has more to do with me and you than you could ever imagine. Think about it. In the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelled in the temple behind the Holy of Holies. But we're New Covenant people. We're New Testament people. And you remember Jesus on the cross when he screamed out, it is finished. What happened? The veil of the temple tore from top to bottom. And Jesus, because of the gospel, because of the good news, him dying on the cross and being raised to life, we now have the spirit of God living in us. He's not in a temple somewhere. We are the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And so look at what is being communicated here. Look at what we have in Christ. If the world is falling apart, let's just say your worst case scenario is becoming a reality. Well, listen to this. You don't have to go to a walled city for protection. God, the Holy Spirit, is living in you. He is your protection. This is why we can say he is an ever-present help in time of need. It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so outward, outwardly, oceans may be roaring. Outwardly, mountains may be crumbling into the heart of the sea. Outwardly, verse 6, nations may be raging and kingdoms tottering. But if God is in you, no matter what is going on around you, his goodness and his mercy and his grace and his presence is like a river in your life that will never run dry. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 7, he's in the temple and he stands up in front of the people and he cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. John chapter 7, whoever believes in me, this is not a mental ascent, this is a giving, whoever gives me their life. Whoever trusts in me, whoever follows me out of his heart, as the scripture has said, will flow rivers of living water. So we zoom in. Yes, this has to do with Jerusalem, the holy city of God. But we zoom out just a little bit because we are new covenant believers. This has to do with us. And if we zoom out even a little bit further, this has to do with our future. Genesis chapter 2, we don't have time to look at it, but you read it in your time alone with the Lord this week. Genesis chapter 2, do you remember the Garden of Eden? In the Garden of Eden, God puts Adam and Eve there, and it is a perfect environment. And the scripture says that in the Garden of Eden, there was a life-giving river that ran right through it. But Adam and Eve sinned against God. And as a result of them sinning against God, what did God do? God judged their sin, and he cut them off from the life-giving river. And he removed them from the garden. That's Genesis chapter 2. Fast forward, zoom out to your future. Revelation chapter 22, the last book of the Bible, tells us that God is going to one day recreate the heavens and the earth. And there's going to be a new city, the new city of Jerusalem. And there's going to be a river that flows through that new city of Jerusalem. The Bible says it's as bright as crystal. 
And in that new city where that life-giving river flows, symbolizing God's goodness and grace and presence in our life, the Bible says there in that new city, there will be nothing accursed. Sin will be no more. Death will be no more. Our greatest worst-case scenario will be in the rearview mirror. And we will live forever with God in the city where there's a river that flows forever. It's a beautiful picture of what we have in Christ. Again, notice the Selah at the end of these verses. Pause, be still, reflect that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, an ever-present help, your ever-present help in a time of need. No matter what's taking place outside of us, look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he wrote, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. You know that old hymn, A mighty fortress is our God. Luther was known to be prone to, de to depression and discouragement. He was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. He had to live in isolation for a period of his life, all because he believed that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all because he believed that the Word of God ought to be in the language that the everyday people could understand. And he was so discouraged at times. And it was known that he would call his friend, Philip, and say, Philip, come over here when he was depressed and down and had anxieties and fears, and he would say, let us sing the 46th Psalm together. I'm telling you, that's a, a word for some of you today. We need to, you, you need to sing the 46th Psalm. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. A bulwark is a defensive wall, a fortification. This is who our God is. And Luther wanted to be reminded of this truth when fear and anxiety came his way that there is nothing and there is no one more powerful than God. Look at verses 8 and 9. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In other words, God is in charge. He is sovereign. And while everything may seem out of control, we can rest assured that God is in control. And one day, he's going to put an end to all of it. One day, he's going to make it all right. Because he is all-powerful, completely sovereign, and totally in control. And so the message of this psalm is, listen, when the twin towers of fear and anxiety move in on your life, let it remind you that the all-powerful creator God is moving toward you to be an ever-present help in your time of need. All we need to do is slow down long enough to recognize it and understand it. That's why verse 10 says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. When I was prepping for this message, for some reason, I thought about my elementary school that I grew up in. I grew up in Bossier City, Louisiana. The name of my elementary school was Bel Air Elementary, okay? Our mascot was the Bombers. We were the Bel Air Bombers. We were awesome, okay? Now, we were the Bombers because we lived next to Barksdale Air Force Base, which was home of the B-52. 
And uh, we lived by the base, and those B-52s would come in, and, I mean, they would just rattle the walls as they were landing. And, and the Bel Air bombers, you, you wanted to be a Bel Air bomber. You didn't want to go to the other elementary school. That was the Sun City sewer suckers, all right? Nobody wanted to be a sewer sucker. You wanted to be a Bel Air bomber. And I remember we had a school resource officer by the name of Officer Friendly. I don't know if that was his name, but that's what we called him. And... He walked around, he smiled everywhere he went, officer friendly. And we'd have school assemblies, and he would tell us as kids, you know, this is first, second, third, fourth grade, he'd tell us what to do in case a stranger approaches us. And, you know, he'd tell us that, you know, we could trust police officers, and they were our friends, officer friendly. And, and I remember one day he told us, you want to scare a little second, third grader out of their mind, tell them what to do if they catch fire. All right, you, gotta, you know this, you got to stop, drop, roll. Prepping for this message. And for some reason, God made me think about Officer Friendly. And I thought about his message, Stop, Drop, and Roll. I thought, you know what? That's, that's, a, that's a good word for Psalm 46. Because for some of you, if it's not happening right now, it's going to happen. Your life's going to be on fire one day. And what do you do when life is on fire? You stop. Be still and know that I am God. You drop to your knees and you worship the Lord. And you entrust your life to the Lord. Know that he is sovereign and in control. Nothing is touching you without first filtering through his hands. He is good and he can be trusted. And then you just roll. You keep walking. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. You keep getting out of bed. You keep living by faith. You stop. You drop. And you roll. That's Psalm 46. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray together. And I want to invite you, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, this is where it starts. Because, listen, you can't go through difficult times in your life solo. And friends are wonderful and loved ones are great. But at the end of the day, the circumstances of life can shake us to the core. And what we need is the unshakable one living in us. And the only way that God's Holy Spirit lives in us, God is in the midst of her. Can you say, just like the city of Jerusalem, that God is in you? The only way you can do that is if you've turned the leadership and lordship of your life over to Jesus. That means you turn from your sin, going your own way, doing your own thing, and you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to believe in you, not just with my head, but with my heart. That's what Jesus said. Whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Some of you are dead on the inside. You've never trusted in Christ, and, and today God brought you to champion for his Jersey Village, to hear this message that you can be saved, that your life can be made new, that you can walk out of here a new person simply by trusting Christ. Doesn't mean your circumstances are going to change. But I'm telling you, you'll have the spirit of the living God living in you. And that changes everything. So if you're here today and never called upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Look at Christ who died on a cross for your sins, shed his blood for you. There's no way you could be forgiven. There's no way you could be made right with God. Salvation is not behavior modification. It's not being a good moral person. Salvation is having faith 
in Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection, give him your life today. Others of you, maybe you're here and you've been visiting Champion Forest, Jersey Village, and you want to make this your church home. I want to encourage you here in just a moment. We're going to stand and sing. We're going to have prayer partners here. You can come forward and say, I'm trusting Christ. You can come forward saying, I want to join this church. We'll get you information on a new membership class. You can come for prayer. Maybe your life's on fire and you just need prayer. That's what we're here for. Don't leave today without being prayed over. Don't leave today without having your spiritual questions answered. Don't leave without knowing that you have Christ living in you. So, Father, we give you this invitation. We thank you for moving in hearts and lives. Thank you for your word that is life to us, God. And I pray, O oh Lord, that during this time of invitation where you've spoken to hearts, God, I pray that we would respond in a way that honors you. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.